up my head, but my head is unraveling. Can't keep control, can't keep track of where it's traveling. I got my heart, but my heart's no good. And you're the only one that's understood. I come along. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud about film. Uh, this week we are at Cinema Rediscovered. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And uh, we will be talking about the program of today, really. So uh, yesterday was mainly uh, two events, the Philip French Memorial Lecture with Samira Ahmed and the UK premiere of Lost Highway, uh, which Richard wasn't here for, but I was. So how, how were they? <laughs> uh, the, the Samira Ahmed, I was actually really surprised because, you know, it was a very personal talk about the films that had influenced mm -hmm. her, you know, and uh, what she showed her kids and you know, her, her predilection for Bond films and uh, carry-on films she loves, right? And the various people that she's interviewed as a news reporter. Uh, uh, and also films about journalism that she also has mm -hmm. a predilection for. Uh, so in a way, there were no major insights into cinema or anything like that. But I was really struck by how beautiful she is, you know, because obviously it's noticeable on television. Mm. But I think, uh, you know, live, it's, it was, you know, very surprising. I hope I'm not castigated for talking women in this way. It's just a purely aesthetic appreciation. But she was, like, remarkably beautiful. Uh, and she was very charming. Uh, so she had kind of the audience in the palm of her hand. She knew how to work it. Mm. You know, she made these jokes because, you know, she used the word wank. And there was, a, <laughs> you know, there was a, an, a, an interpreter for the deaf using sign language, <laughs> right? And every time she'd use the, the word wank, she'd look to see how the woman was, in, was signing it, right? <laughs> so it was very charming. And it was, a, you know, a very good way of um, starting off uh, the festival, really. Uh, so, you know, they made a good choice with that. Yeah, good, good. She's really interesting. I, I've, I've, um, there's a few things I know about her that she's, she's also a huge fan of kind of British genre yes. television. So she did, she won Celebrity Mastermind answering questions about Space 1999, this early 70s Jerry Anderson series. And she turned up wearing um, a, a, a costume uh -huh. from the series. <laughs> which was great. The other thing is her mother. Um, who she's written about, who's called Lolita Ahmed, who was a um, TV presenter back in the back in the seventies, right, yeah, and worked at, at Pebble Mill in Birmingham, mm -hmm. doing kind of there, there was a, a sort of regular kind of program aimed at the Asian community, but she also turned up on on mainstream shows doing doing cookery demonstrations and, wow. and this kind of thing. So, she said that she was in uh, Baji on the Beach. Yeah, 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 and she told this funny anecdote about, you know, so so her character in Body on the Beach was supposed to have this crush of someone, you know, a movie star or yeah, a television star who she was supposed to meet, and mm. said, "Well, who's your ideal?" And, her, and her, she said, "My mom didn't waste a second." It was like Roger Moore, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was great fun. Have you seen Lost Highway? Yeah, years ago. Years and what ago. do you think? I, I love it. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I love David Lynch. Yeah. I mean, I was like gobsmacked yesterday. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I thought I'd seen it, and it turns out I hadn't. I was confusing it with that one with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart, which also has so many scenes in the highway. So mm -hmm. for some reason, you know, kind of the names converged in my mind. And actually, for some reason... I had just not seen it. 
Uh, and the first half hour of the film, I was trying to place it in my memory, mm, mm. right? And kind of um, not succeeding and being gobsmacked by how beautiful it is, right? So, you know, when the, when, when the it's a beautiful restoration. So the opening shots with the yellow lines of the highway and the Bowie song, I mean, mm. you know, it's, it's mesmerizing. And then the whole plot begins with the Bill Pullman character and Patricia Arquette and uh, the compositions are so beautiful like they're really minimalist you know sometimes you'll just see a body or mm. a face or yeah in yeah in a hotel or a motel but they're very 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 sparse and yet you could see how everything yeah has been yeah. thought through yeah, yeah. right um, I love the dream aspects of it I loved that Robert Blake is deaf <laughs> you know, yeah feels almost like pressing and I loved I love the things that I still can't understand you know because they feel like dream life yeah yeah what is the connection of the Bill Pullman character to a younger man who you are led to believe is sleeping with the twin yeah, of Bill Pullman's wife, who's a, he's ostensibly killed, but actually they might be the same person. Yeah, I find all, and what I find fascinating about all his films really is that uh, all, all his kind of personal films are kind of exclude Dune and The Elephant Man from this, but things like, you know, from The Razorhead to Lost Highway to Wild at Heart to Twin Peaks, in particular. Um, with me and, and, and the return, but also in the Empire and Mulholland Drive, they all kind of share the same themes and almost seem to be sort of taking part, taking place in the same kind of universe, yes. the same kind of dream state. So there's there's bits in digressing a bit. There's bits in Mulholland Drive that um, are then then suddenly reappear in the in the Twin Peaks the Return mm-hmm. series. Um, a friend of mine uh, uh, came up with this very convincing theory as to um, explaining how you know, like Laura Dern's character in Inland Empire could be the same character she's playing in in, in, in Twin Peaks The Return this kind of thing and then The Lost Highway with the doubles and the, that's then replicated in Mulholland Drive there's bits in um, in Eraserhead because I, I remember seeing a Razorhead, a restored version of that in Bologna a few years ago, um, and uh, the same time the, in the middle of when Twin Peaks: The Return was was showing, and you suddenly realise that there's imagery from Eraserhead that's just directly in the kind of black room bits in uh, the Black Lodge, sorry, in in, in 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 Twin Peaks: The Return, and it's kind of he's just got this, you know, he's got this vision in his head of this thing that he's getting across Mm. and you don't quite know what it is it's very interesting because you know one of the talks today was about thinking women's history through perspectives other than authorship Mm. which I you know approve of yeah you get different information you know if you ask who was editing films Mm. and so on but for me, those are always, in a way, kind of limited because I think, you know, I do um, believe in authorship in mm. cinema in the sense, but I believe it as a kind of a power relation. Who's got the power mm. you know, to shape the work, right? Um, and, you know, kind of 
people have different types of power in it. I mean, an editor definitely. Mm. Well, an editor would have the power of showing their edit to the director, who could then refuse it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they could help shape the film, but they don't have control over how it shapes, right? Um, whereas, you know, part of the reason why I continue to believe in authorship is because of the work of people like Almodovar and David Lynch mm. and Shama and, you know, like, be, because you, you feel you're in contact with a consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that very strongly with Lynch's work. Yeah. That kind of, you might reject that consciousness, so you might have nothing in common with it, right? Or you might love it. Mm. Yeah. But you feel that it, that it is a kind of a relationship with that consciousness, sensibility, aesthetic that grows over the years. And yeah. I feel that very powerfully with Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's got that dream logic that, you know, a desire that's almost carnal and palpable, you know, but it's very psychological as well. Yeah. Kind of, you know, things make sense through a dream logic. Yeah. The whole phone conversation where you call you call the same person who is in another room and they answer and ask you to, yeah, mm. like that makes no sense ex unless you see it as a dream logic. But it makes yeah. kind of perfect sense, yeah. right? You know, you see it in a completely different way. And I think actually, you know, Lynch enables you to feel that, I mm. think, mm. Uh, in, in, in quite a powerful uh, way. Um, the uh, other key... Um, start, yeah, a part of the program that started today, uh, is the pre-codes, mm. yeah? So I think they're going to be showing five in all. Uh, they're showing uh, Blonde uh, Crazy, uh, A Free Soul, uh, Red-Headed Woman, um, uh, what are the others? Um, Babyface, uh, and... Uh, What's it called? Jewel Thieves or something like mm. that. Jewel Robbery. Jewel Robbery. So today they showed the first two. I saw the first, which is Blonde Crazy, and it was just divine, mm. right? So, I mean, the film in itself is not, you know, so great. But it's got James Cagney uh, and Joan Blondell, both young and handsome, and mm. she's beautiful, and they're both witty and full of vim and you know to see them on a big screen in a in a you know a, a print that looks new uh, you know you just get all their magnetism and all the pleasure in their playing and you know so the plot is really about two a bellhop you know and the maid who uh hook up and he convinces her to go around scamming people mm. really you know and you know so the film is really about scammers in the depression trying to make a, a living and going from big city to big city mm. and getting scammed themselves you know and it has kind of um a, a wonderful ending that is nonetheless a very sad ending because he ends up in jail right and yet they manage to turn this jail scene into a lovely romantic mm. moment right yeah, yeah. uh it's very funny it's and it's very very charming uh so i think uh, it's touring Right, so uh, if it uh, gets near you, I urge you to see it. Even though I do think, you know, one these things have to be kept in perspective. You will not be seeing one of the great masterpieces mm. of the cinema, but you will be seeing two of the greatest stars in film history at their representative, yeah, which is near enough to say their best. Mm. Yeah, they're absolutely 
gorgeous and charming and wonderful. Uh, so the other film that uh, was showing in this part of the program today was A Free Soul. Which was also the first one I saw. Which is the first one that you saw. So let's have your thoughts on it. Yeah, I thought it was great. It was great fun. Again, not a great masterpiece, but, but a, again, really nice restoration. A very fun film. Here you've got um, Clark Gable, Norma Shearer, and Joseph, Joseph Cotton and Lionel Barrymore. Um, Leslie Howard. Leslie Howard, sorry, yeah. And, and Lionel Barrymore. All kind of... Clark Gable not playing the kind of character you're familiar with him playing later, but playing this kind of real cad, which is what he was known for at that yeah. point. Um, it's, yeah. one, it's one of the films that forged his star persona mm. because he treats women awfully in the film. He's a real rough, nasty guy. Yeah, yeah. And they found that women in the audience just liked yes. that aspect yeah, of yeah. it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's a great, great fun film. It's, it's kind of, you know, and, and you know, it was very, I would say, very pre-coded. <laughs> sort of, you know, the, the introduction talked about the, 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 the gowns Norma Shearer was wearing where she appears to be wearing nothing underneath them. And they, they're very re- revealing. Yes. I um, mean, they're, they're sort of full-length evening gowns, but, but they leave nothing to the imagination. Um, I thought the opening scene was, was astonishing. Basically, the opening scene is Lionel Barrymore in a hotel room, and he's having a conversation with this woman who is on the scene, who's in the bathroom and, and with the door half open, presumably having a bath or a shower. Yes. And she's saying, pass me some, can you pass me some clothes? Like a complete outfit. And, and you see her naked. Yeah. Well, not, you don't see her naked, but you see her naked shadow. You see, yeah, it's clear yeah. that she's supposed to be naked. He's handing her underwear, he's handing her stockings, he's handing her underwear, he's handing her, you know, everything. And, and, and he's commenting on how few clothes she's going to be wearing. Mm. He goes back and sits down. She comes out fully clothed. She says, thank you. Mm. Thanks very much, Daddy. And yeah. it's just like, oh my God, I thought it was like that point. Oh my God, it's his daughter. And it, it was, I, I found that quite yes. um, amazing. It is amazing. And I think, you know, the, so the film was one of the great, great hits of 1931. Mm. It completely reshaped Norma Shearer's star persona and she became an emblem for you know the liberated the sexually liberated modern woman right it, had, it was a, an mm-hmm. enormous success and part of it of course was the clothes and the hairstyle but part of it was this character who went off and lived with a man and you know he's a gangster and he's rough and she loves it yeah uh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know playing that kind of uh, character I think the film itself is very creaky Right, it's an old-fashioned melodrama with a huge courtroom scene at the end. Uh, you can see all the wheels turning. Mm. Uh, it's it's quite well directed. It has you know some marvelous scenes and shots. The director is Clarence Brown. Mm. Yeah, those scenes where like, you're just seeing the top of their yeah. So to, yeah, so towards the end, so Leslie Howe's been arrested and and him and Norma Shearer are meeting in the prison. And you, yeah, as you say, both their mouths are covered by uh, uh, sort of obscured by a, by a piece of wood and you just see their eyes which is what all they could see of each other yes. and that's a very effective sequence yes he's a marvellous director yeah. but the film itself is quite questionable yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can make those distinctions between the direction uh, and the playing yeah, and the film itself mm. the playing is very uneven right Leslie Howard had the reputation of being one of the great actors of his day mm. and he comes across as like kind of mannered and, and ineffectual, really. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. She's more difficult, and I find her fascinating because uh, 
you know, she looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, she's gowned beautifully, the hairdos, her profile. Like, you could really understand why she was one of the big stars mm. of the late silent period until she retired, right? You know, she was that kind of, like, Garbo Crawford type of yeah, stardom, yeah. right? But she's also very bad. Like, she's got <laughs> moments that she does really well, mm. and then moments that just seem like the height of camp because, you know, it's almost like a Del Sarchian mode of acting where a gesture is meant to represent a feeling. And yeah. so she does these sudden gestures yes. that seem so phony. Yeah, this is kind of constant shock movement to put hand over the face. Yes. And, it's yeah. almost like cliched bad acting, right? Yeah. Like, you know, something horrible happens and her eyes widen and, you know, her hands go to her, to her mouth. It's or, the kind of reactions you could imagine doing a Twitter gift search. Exactly. Like, shock. <laughs> yes, I, and actually I will be doing some yeah. because, you know, <laughs> So, she is a star that's greatly admired still, mm. you know, uh, for her elegance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for, for, for the clothes that she wore, the way that she wore them, you know. And actually, she is very effective in film, generally. Mm. Yeah. And what I'm interested in relation to her is how she could be so effective... And yet have these odd moments that really want to make you laugh, right? Like some of it feels laughably bad. And I don't know if it's just us in a contemporary audience or whether it was always the case, you know, because you leave the theater with a kind of admiration for her still, but also, you know, having laughed at like four or five of her big moments. Right? Like that. The, the way that, I mean, we won't give away the ending, but the way the final courtroom scene resolves itself is so ridiculous that yes. I, I can't imagine that it didn't get a laugh at Tom, but, I, but maybe not. Maybe not, we don't know. Um, so um, we also uh, should say that these two pre-codes uh, had uh, you know, really fine introductions by Christina Newland. And then uh, Christina Newland and Pam uh, Hutchinson did a whole kind of talk, you know, very articulate and wide-ranging on uh, pre-code Hollywood uh, uh, with a t under the title of Rules Are Made uh, to Be Broken. And this takes us to a desert for Constance. So, well, let's, well let's talk about Sam Bizanga, which I saw before. Oh, you saw Sam Bizanga, and it's by the same director. By the same director. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the first of two films by Sarah Maldoror, uh, which were both introduced by her daughter, who's here for the festival, and that, that was really, she gave very interesting, engaging introductions. So Sam Bizanga, um, which is another new restoration by the Film Foundation, uh, their project for restoring African cinema. Um, this was uh, Sarah Maldoror's first feature film. So she previously made two shorts. Um, the, this this is a film about the, the it, it's about the Angolan War of Independence, uh, but it actually doesn't doesn't cover the war it kind of covers the lead up to the war and it's um essentially a almost a series of minor events um what's going on is there are a bunch of like political groups of political um, radicals who want to fight for independence and are discussing fighting for independence kind of springing up around the country and they're being persecuted by the police and so there's a guy that works on the building site he's carted off by the police and and, and, and brutalized in prison no one knows where he's gone. So there's these parallel. There's these three parallel plots. One is this guy in prison being, being beaten up. The second is, his wife, and baby, and she she goes on a journey to try and find out where her husband's being held, 
and just gets sent around these various different prisons who all deny that he's there. Mm. Then there's a, there's a boy, the third plot, there's a boy who's seen the guy being dragged into the prison but doesn't know who he is. Mm. So there's basically one, you know, there's the woman who knows her husband's in prison but doesn't know which prison. There's another group of radicals who know someone's been dragged into a prison but they don't know who he is. Mm. And, and so it's these plots trying to resolve that that gradually coalesce at the end. And this this led to well I, I I presume this is fiction but the one of the kicking off points for the Angolan War was the storming of a prison by a group of radicals which is what at the end of this film they agree that's what they're going to do and then the film the film ends it's a really it's, it's really good I found incredibly gripping very moving it's going to be I think it's going to be one of the free streams from the Film Foundation okay. in the coming months so if it, if it is I'll, I'll check the date and perhaps we can talk about it in detail because I think it's a very great. interesting film um, the other uh, film that we saw was really a, a film made for television uh, called The Desert for Constance yeah Desert for Constance yeah Constance which was, was it more of a comedy it's kind of yes um, well it's still with political edge to it interesting very, done in a very witty way with yeah. a very light tone but it but has the that edge. edge. The edge yeah. is that. And it's interesting to compare, you know, it's interesting the number of films we've seen recently which are about, I mean, this will be the third film we've seen recently which is about immigrant street sweepers in Paris in the mm. 1970s, um, but also the other the side in Wonderland and Mandarby. Yes. Um, there's, obviously, there's also um, Au Soleil and also um, um, Pressure, the, mm. the, the, the British the film. The Horace Soleil film. Yeah, Horace Soleil film. This one, yeah, it, it, it was it was a fun film. It's only about an hour long. Um, essentially, the what's interesting is the uh, the, the street sweepers, the, the immigrant street, African immigrant street sweepers. They're intelligent. They're articulate. They're well read. It's just they have to be working as street sweepers because yes. that's what they can do. As as we found with Mandarbi as well, they find this cookbook and learn learn all the recipes from this cookbook despite not being able to have access to the food to the yes. French cuisine. And it's kind of and you know there's a lovely plot around the their friends very ill and they they work out how they can use this knowledge to to raise money to send him back home yes um, it's very charming uh it's part of a program of films uh on uh paris uh or black communities in paris yeah, so I think um, there's a Josephine Baker film later in the week. For instance, yeah, so I think this is all programmed by Karen Alexander. Yeah. Uh, and it was a joy to see. And, and actually, I thought it was interesting because Karen Alexander, in her introduction, asked the question that we've been asking when we've been seeing all these yeah, black or North African films from Paris, right? It's like, you know, what was happening in England? And then, of mm. course, we found Horace of A. But, you know, Karen Alexander was saying, this was made in 1980. What was happening yeah, in 1980, in, in Britain? Yes. With, 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 black, with, yeah, with black female filmmakers. And it's black female filmmakers. Film. I think Burning an Illusion might be... No, maybe, I think it might be wrong there. That might be a male, male director. But, um, but yeah, that was... The, the, one other thing I found interesting here was that this was uh, Sarah Maldoral making film for television and actively... Try actively trying to make films for television, and I assume it's the same scenario as in the UK, where if you're making a film, you know, an art house film for cinema release, um, you've got to scrabble around for funding and find different backers for mm. it. 
Whereas if you manage to sell your idea to a TV station, either for play for today on BBC or for, as far as they did after pressure, or, or in this case to Antenna 2 in, in, in France, you know, you, you manage to sell it to a particular channel for a particular strand of single plays, and then the budget's there for you. You, you, yes. you can do it. Well, all of that has its pros and it has its cons. Yeah. The daughter uh, revealed, and I apologize, I can't remember the name, uh, but the daughter revealed that the rating of this program in France was bigger than Dallas, mm, mm. right? And yet it only ran once. It has never been seen in this country. Yeah. But, it, but again, that's exactly what, what struck me about that. That's exactly what happened with a lot of the plays of today's in the UK, where, where it's some, you know, they're made by people like you know, Horace O'Bey or Mike Lee or Alan Clark mm. or Ken Loach made these films. And they were only shown once. A lot of them ended up being wiped after they were shown. Um, but even though they were only shown once, as, as her daughter said with this one, they got millions of viewers. Mm. Um, you know, Play for Today was getting you know, 10 million viewers or whatever. This probably got 10 million viewers. Whatever. I don't know what viewers Dallas mm. got to that point in France. But you know, millions, millions and millions of people saw this film. If this film had been released in cinemas in France, probably hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people would have seen it. Mm. So, and I don't, you know, for it, it's certainly a, I've, I've seen inter- interviews in recent years with people like Mike Lee and Ken Loach and so on and they still say yeah even though this thing only got shown once or twice I think it's better that this thing was made and was shown in a high profile slot and 20 million people saw it than it was made and got a limited cinema release and then maybe was re-released 10 years later it's, it's, an, it's an interesting I mean it's very di- the, the, the market is very different now I mean, I think also it depends what questions you ask of it. Yeah. Because if you're interested in social impact, of course, one screening of those will have much more, much mm. greater social impact, you know, than yeah, a, a small cinema release. But I think there are also considerations of, you know, are, are you making art? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, um, which is different, you know, to make something to convince people, yeah, is one thing. To kind of you know, be making kind of something to express something about a place or the human condition or whatever yeah. it is. They're not, they don't have the same goal, yeah. you know. And, yeah. I, and I do think maybe that's one of the reasons why things that are so successful on television not only don't talk, often don't repeat, but often don't repeat well, mm. you know. Mm. I mean, we all have these experiences of going back to something that meant so much to us and finding the work lacking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, w- I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, whether, you know, the funding, the, you know, the, the income she got from making this thing for French TV then enabled her to make some smaller scale political films in Africa. I, I, I've no I idea. I mean, I think this, this film that we saw is worthy in its own right. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was, it was charming, it was witty, it was critical. Mm. It had a sensibility that you haven't seen anywhere else, right? Like... Just the way that all of these men interacted with each other in Paris, you know, I think was was fascinating to see. Yeah, and I, and I think as with, I mean, we talked about this when we saw Pressure, that um, the those other films, you know, Alien Wonderland and Au Soleil, um, were very much kind of art films trying to make a political point, make an mm. impact. They weren't films that a mainstream audience would go and watch or and they're not films that the people depicted in the film mm-hmm. would go and watch whereas you could see this film if you if you were you know a, an immigrant working in Paris 
you you could watch this film and enjoy it in in nineteen eighty or whatever because it shows you you know your type of the type of person you are getting one mm. over on the, on the on the French. Um, I mean, I still have reservations because you know having it on TV and making it for a mainstream audience, i.e., not a black audience, mm. means that you're translating. So, for example, the whole point of the boss figure in the film was to act as a point of understanding, identification, translation yeah, yeah. Yeah, between this black culture and the broader French culture. So, you know, kind of, there, there are pros and cons. But I think, you know, the important thing is it exists. Mm. You know, it represents a time. And I think it still plays incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, we're going to end it here for, for today. Uh, we will return uh, to discuss tomorrow's offerings at the end of the day, as now. Uh, these podcasts will not be as sharply edited as they usually are, because we want to get them to you quickly. And also because Jose is doing it and not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be doing the next ten, let me tell you. Uh, so... Um, Thank you very much for listening. We are thinking aloud about film and we will be returning tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye.